Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my shroopies. Hi. Let's talk about sex, sex, sex. No, better yet, let's explore it together. It's meaning the many ways in which sex and sexuality is expressed, performed, used, bartered. I've run out of verbs. <laughs> to describe it, but we all know it is a hot topic. Hot because of uh, different beliefs. And um, so what I've decided to do is to launch a series for the next couple of episodes. Uh, we are going to talk and have conversations with uh, people who are in, who express love and uh, sexuality uh, differently and get an education. So our very first topic today is a conversation with a sex worker, an adult who identifies as she, her, who receives money in exchange for consensual sexual services and erotic performances. Now, whether you, dear listener, my lovers, my puppies, my shmopey, whether you believe in the criminalization or decriminalization of sex work, I think we can all agree that sex work is W-O-R-K work, right? And one who is gainfully employed in that industry is still a human being, a holistic human being fascinating with dreams and wishes, just like the rest of us. And I want to explore the different ways that leads into life's paths, right? What the fuckery is sex work? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadej August, your host. And if this is your first time, welcome. Hit that subscribe button and you will be an automatic schmoopy. Now, What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we know about, hear about, but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, and concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Now, our topics may or may not be mainstream, but our subjects are real. In that vein today, my guest is Maha Cello. Ma is a sex worker, a writer, and a community organizer from New Orleans, lovingly known as NOLA. She's a founding member of BARE, B-A-R-E, which stands for Bourbon Alliance of Responsible Entertainers, which fights against discriminatory labor laws affecting sex workers. She has been a member of the Socialist Alternative and Justice Committee and Cop Watch. She's an avid fan fiction reader, an easy enthusiast, and lover of all things dark and uh, gloomy. Maha, I Maha. Thank you. I was just about to ask you for corrections here. So it's Maha Cello. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to have you here. 
I really am. Thank you. I sometimes just say, oh, I assume, you know, I'm excited to have people here and I don't say it. So for you, I want to say, I really am truly excited. And I, one of the things that people appreciate about the What the Fockery podcast is that I tend to just jump right in um, and no excessive chatter. So I'm asking you point blank to help us define what the fockery is sex work. Okay. Um, so sex work is sort of an umbrella term and that includes uh, legal forms of sex work and criminalized forms of sex work. So that includes stripping, that includes um, camming, it includes OnlyFans, um, it includes uh, online escorting, it includes sugar babies, it includes street-based um, full-service sex workers. But the term sex worker, um, a lot of people like to use that because it helps to eliminate the horophobia that can sometimes exist within the community. Um, you know, we don't want to prioritize or say that certain kinds of sex works are better or more legitimate than others. And um, it also acknowledges that there's usually a lot of gray areas, like um, maybe some girls just dance, but then COVID hit and now they've moved to doing OnlyFans. So usually people, or a lot of people don't just do one type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you say only fans, what is that? Um, so it so it's an online uh, platform where um, people can. So you don't have to use it for sex work, but that is the reason that it's the most popular. And so you can on there. Um, you can have people subscribe, sort of like Patreon, um, and then you have photos. You have videos of explicit nature, it's porn, but people do different kinds. Like some people do it with um, other people, like they'll have boy, girl, or girl, girl kind of scene. Some people just do solo. I mean, it's totally up to you. You're the content creator. Um, and then also people who subscribe to them monthly, um, they can pay to access longer or more videos. They can also pay to chat with you, things like that, send tips. Got it. And how is that? I, I can understand how it's different, but when you say cam girls, are, what are cam people? What do they do? So there are cam sites. Um, so these have been around for a long time and OnlyFans is pretty new, but camming sites. Um, uh, so, so they work two different ways. Sometimes it's where you have like a room and then people who log on to the site can enter the room under like a screen name. And then, you know, your room might last for a few hours or something. But in that time, um, you like entertain the people in the room for money. Like they can send tokens through the site. Um, and yeah, like that's the small summary of what it is. And then there's another type of campsite where it's more like there's like a free one and then people have to pay to go into like a one-on-one -on -one video with you. Mm -hmm. So it becomes more personal, like yeah. having a private dancer. Right. Got it. Got it. Now, of course, the inevitable question is, uh, in your bio, you, you say you are a sex worker. Uh, can I ask you what your uh, particular area of performances or work is and if yeah. by the way I say anything that's offensive correct me I'm here to learn <laughs> okay um yeah so um primarily I dance um I've been dancing um almost five years now um not during COVID but before that um 
at other times I have done um, like the the full service escorting kind of stuff, but primarily just dancing. Does it offend you at all that uh, a dancer, to me it's art. I've mm-hmm. seen live dancing and I see it an artistic value to it, right? Um, yeah. But does it, is it offensive to be considered a sex worker or does that, is that a natural way for it to land? Um, no, because I feel like it, in the same way that, I mean, sex work doesn't just have to mean that you are seeing people in person and having sex with them. Like, um, you know, OnlyFans, camming, dancing, those are not necessarily things where you have sex with anyone, but there is still in the umbrella of you're providing services of a sexual nature for money. Mm-hmm. So, of course, how did you start this world, enter this world? Um, it, it was a surprise to me as well. Um, I, I don't think anyone was expecting that. Um, it seemed very outside of my personality, I think. But no, I just, you know, like many millennials, I had graduated college and grad school didn't work out. And, you know, I had different jobs, but I was having trouble finding any kind of employment that felt stable or was making enough money. And so face was struggling all the time. I was browsing the net one day and I came across this article that was about beauty secrets of porn stars. And so then, you know, they always link you to other things similar to anything you click on. So then uh, it linked me to an article about beauty secrets of strippers. And I was like, hmm, okay, well, I hadn't thought of that. I didn't know anyone at the time that did it. And then I was just like, okay, well, I guess I could try that. This is while you're in New Orleans? Yeah. Were you always in New Orleans? Um, primarily, but for, so summer 2018, I, at the end of summer 2018, I had moved to California. Um, and now I'm back in Louisiana since March. Um, probably going to stay here, but I've danced in Louisiana and Texas and Arizona and California. So you, your first experience was where? Bourbon Street. Where? In Bur- on Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. So when you clicked and got the information, what, you went in and auditioned? Did you, how did you learn to even put something together to dance and have an act? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm an actor, so I talk in terms of acts. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I'm, I'm like a research person and like I, can, I get very like hyper-focused on like one thing and then I want to research everything about it. And I guess I'm nerdy in that way, but um, yeah, I didn't know anything at all. So the first thing I did was do research because I was like, I don't even know. I've never been to a club before. I don't know anything about what that even entails. I don't, it didn't even occur to me that dancers like gave lap dances. Like I just had no, I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but uh, so I did research on like what clubs are in the city and like on what are you supposed to do? How do you even get a job there? Like what is going on? Um, and so I did that. And then um, a this couple is all later, online. Online. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so then once I felt like, okay, I have like, you know, what I think I'm going to wear and I, you know, have decided what I'm going to do with my hair and, you know, all these different things. Like I made notes about like, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, then a couple months later, I just 
walked in. I actually had another job at the time. So I just said I was going to lunch and to mail a package, which I was not. And then I went to Bourbon Street instead and then just went in and asked awkwardly if they were hiring. Wow. That's a great story, by the way. I love <laughs> Thank it. You. So then what happens? You Are you hiring? They're like... Yeah, so well, so I did tell them at that time that I'd never danced before. I'm pretty sure they could tell. Um, and so then they were like, okay, well, you can come back tomorrow and you can start. They didn't make me audition at that one. Uh, about a week after that, I started working somewhere else and they did make me audition on the stage. Um, but in my experience, it just kind of depends. Some places have you do, some places don't. Most do, though. Um, but yeah, so then they just told me to come back the next day. And then I came back the next day and it was like a Saturday. And then I started. So, so you just, the mu- you, did you tell, so how does that work? You tell the, the DJ what songs you want to dance to, or is it whatever they're, da- they're offering is what you dance to? It depends. Some clubs are very strict about their music and they like, just the DJ to pick or like you have to tip a lot to get the songs you want or they try to like keep a certain mood like some clubs um don't allow like uh, rap music um if it's anything like hip-hop sounding has to be like top 40s so like Drake is okay <laughs> the awesome. end yes. you know nothing hardcore right and um some clubs you can pretty much just dance to whatever you want um so for my first set I don't think I picked the songs but when I had to audition audition a week later somewhere else um then i did have to pick my own songs so this was dancing there was a pole there right mm-hmm. how did you know how to use a pole honey oh, i didn't i didn't so the thing is is that um you know some clubs really emphasize pole dancing and pole tricks and others don't so usually those kind of clubs will definitely want you to audition and they definitely want to see that you can do that um, other clubs, uh, you know, a lot of girls do it. Some don't. I didn't. Um, and I still don't really. Um, I mainly just do like floor work and like customer interactions, stuff like that. So how did it feel in that first day and first week? Did, did, did you feel, okay, I can quit my job. This is great. <laughs> um, it was it was pretty challenging I guess at first I mean going on stage I didn't feel as uncomfortable with that that was probably the thing that I did best at initially um the the part that I found like harder was like we have to actually talk to people because um that's like the bulk of the job is like having to like talk to people and then try to like get them to buy things from you and give you money you know um so I found that part to be a lot more awkward and weird um, but eventually I got the hang of it. My gosh, I'm looking at you and you're right. Like it doesn't compute, but I imagine you just like suddenly like you're transformed like Wonder Woman or something like I guess. <laughs> there's a whole different personality. And do you use your name Maha or do you have a name that you use? Uh, no, I don't use my name because um, my name is like too distinct that I feel mm, like it would. You can be found. Yeah. It, I mean, because the stage name thing, I don't really know how it originated, but like the main reason people have it is because it's for safety because you don't want to give people like your real information. Like, you know, a lot of times they'll ask like weird questions, like what neighborhood do you live in or something? I always give a fake one, you know, because you do things to protect yourself. Of course. Yeah. You're just, you're talking to so many people and not everyone has good intentions and sex workers are generally viewed as like kind of disposable in society. So people feel like they can get away with more with them. So yeah. So 
fake information all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so w- at which point did you say, this? I can do this, this is legit, I don't need this job that I'm having to go to, you know, skip lunch and go to look for another job? Um, well, I already didn't like the job that I had at the time, and I ended up getting um, found out by my manager that that's what I was doing on the side, and it didn't go over well. And then whoa, whoa, whoa! We, Backtrack. Are you serious? Yeah. How, how did they even find something like that out? Um, well, so like I had told one of my coworkers, who like I thought of as like a friend, you know, of course, and then that information spread beyond that, and so then you know, the manager confronted me about it and it turns this whole big thing. And eventually I, we, it just turned into that I was going to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that happened pretty quickly. So then at that point, this was my only job. Yeah, you were I forced to make it a with job. It, mm-hmm, I stuck with it because, you know, prior to the job that I had to leave, I was working at, in retail part-time and making nothing so I was like well comparatively you know I have much higher earning potential doing this even if it's inconsistent versus you know going back to something like that you know I was going to ask what field were you in that that would be an issue but then you just let it slip that it's retail so well, it- the, the job that I um, had to leave was at a nonprofit. oh yeah okay all right well but still um was that because it, it meant that they were paying so little that their employees had to supplement their income? Was it, yeah. <laughs> was it judgment on your morality? They had a morality clause. Um, they didn't have a morality clause. Um, I, well, so they didn't want us to have like second jobs, but then they also made comments about how like that was like just like inappropriate and the fact that I had like said it to a coworker and mentioned it, you know, work setting was inappropriate and stuff like that. Um, which I mean, okay, but we're an office of adults and, and you thought this was a friend and the adults regularly talk about their Tinder dates and the UTIs that they got from said <laughs> Tinder dates in the office. So, I mean, I don't know where the line is on like appropriate and not appropriate. I would love to have them on to talk about this. We're not going to do <laughs> right. that, but it would be interesting. You raise some really super interesting and valid arguments. Like how is that different than someone discussing the UTI they got from, you know, sleeping with someone right off the bat on a Tinder date, right. right? At least you're safe. You have your, you have control over the things you decide to do. So, um, and the, escorting part um did it just how did you even fall into that or was that a natural progression to dance um it was just kind of like it just kind of like appeared I guess like you know obviously you get propositioned all the time but then this one time it just seemed like a really good deal and I was just like okay and then um other times it was just like okay I need to try to like supplement um, you know, cause clubs, you know, they go through slow seasons and things like that. So I just was like, well, I need more money. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe escorting? How is that different from sugar babies? Um, okay. So like in a sugar baby arrangement, you would meet a guy and then you sort of have like an agreed upon relationship with that guy. Like, so, um, it can look a little bit more like actual dating. 
um, depending on what it is that they want. If they want regular communication or if they just want to see you once a week or, you know, whatever. And then they give you an agreed upon amount of money, more like an allowance, not so much like a pay per session. Per it, mm-hmm. I mean, it. everyone, I guess, negotiates their own situation, sure. but generally it's more like a quote unquote relationship, whereas um, escorting and that's more in full service. That's more like um, the person pays for that visit or activity and then that's it. Right. I mean, maybe you get repeat, but it's not like an ongoing relationship. So that's the difference in escorting. And mm-hmm. forgive me for asking, does that automatically entail sexual uh, relation? In escorting, yeah. Yes. Um, in sugaring, um, I would say most often yes, but maybe there are times when there are not. They just want to talk to you yeah. sometimes. Did you consider sugar babying or that's not something you're interested in? Um, not so much because I'm a lot better at like not having to maintain the relationships. Like it, I feel like that's just too much emotional labor that I would prefer not to have to do. I understand. Yeah. Are you able to have personal relationships, love relationships in your own life in light of this work? Or do you feel because you are, you are, you are spending time with different people, you may feel like, oh, I don't need something for myself. Have you thought of that? Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a few things. On the one hand, I feel like I don't spend as much time, like I don't use any dating apps or anything. Um, And when I go out with friends who don't, do sex work then they're usually more interested in trying to meet people and I'm like oh I'm exhausted of making small talk with men <laughs> like I can't think of anything I usually get paid for small talk mister move it along <laughs> right it's just like I don't want to do that at all so um yeah so I guess in a way it's kind of like oh I don't need to do that but um I yeah I mean I've, I've dated in the past five years but um yeah it can be hard sometimes because not everyone wants to date someone that does that. It can bring problems. I haven't really had so many issues with it, but I know for other people, um, you know, they talk to me about how they can get a lot of judgment or, you know, the first fight you get into, they throw it in your face or there's a lot of insecurity in the relationship, things like that. So it, it can be hard, I think. Yes, I imagine. So do all of your friends know that you do? that for a living um yeah um i mean i would say now a majority of my friends are sex workers um it just happened that way um but yeah everyone that i'm friends with knows knows and family no okay fair enough so i guess you're not going to share this episode with them probably not (laughs) Hey, listeners, the term self-care is thrown around a lot these days, and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. 
therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. And BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, it's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. So get started today. And you, as a What the Fockery listener, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash fockery10. Again, that's betterhelp. H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Fockery 10. In fact, use Fockery 10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program. Oh, good. That means I can even go even further with the questioning. Um, the fact is, um, I what I love about you is, I, I, listeners, I, I met Maha. Mm-hmm. Uh, through watching an Insta Live uh, on radical feminists. And what was fascinating... Black Women Radicals. Is that the name of it? Black Women Mm -hmm. Radicals? Mm -hmm. Thank you. You you stumble on these things and we get so inundated with information. It's hard to... to, It's the title of that specific live had the word feminist in it. So that's probably what you're imagining in your head oh that's why okay well it makes sense so I'm not completely insane I appreciate that is that you do so much more uh you're Mm -hmm. a writer you are an activist so I want to talk about your activism um Mm -hmm. you're the founder of B-A-R-E which stands for uh Urban Alliance of Responsible Entertainers I'm not the founder but I was one of the founding members at the time when it formed Okay, and what what does that and work involve for you? Um, well, so I, I I've been doing activist stuff before that because it's formed in two thousand eighteen. Um, and plus, you work for I, a nonprofit, so you're already passionate about helping. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I worked with Socialist Alternative, with Cop Watch, um, organizations like that. Um, but then uh, this organization formed at, in 2018 there were um, a series of raids held on all the clubs in New Orleans or in on Bourbon Street at least and it was it was done very poorly as we expect anything involving police you know um, and there there were a lot of club closures at that time and a lot of clubs lost their liquor licenses and had to close. And then all of a sudden hundreds of people were out of work. Mm-hmm. And so this formed during that time to sort of give us like a um, outlet and also a, to be able to be active in having agency and speaking for ourselves as people who have become recently unemployed from these very unfair raids. So, um, what were know, the, the, the cops looking for when they just decided to have raids? Because your clubs are illegal, right? Yeah. Uh, well, so their claim, um, so they, they were working with a Christian organization at the time, and they were there to find uh, human trafficking. Um, so all of this chaos that ensued resulted in no arrests of any traffickers and no rescued victims. Okay, so the, the they were looking for people who were forced to dance. Yeah, they were looking for trafficking, and they were looking for, um, like, well, so 
they were saying like, oh, it's, you know, dens of drugs and forced prostitution and things like that. So, but yeah, nothing, everything nothing resulted. Be, everything turned out to be kosher. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, you're still active in this be in bear? Um, so I was active with them and then I moved away. So then I stopped being as active, but now that I'm back, I'm hoping to become more active once we are actually able to go outside. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had been wondering what are uh, sex workers doing right now because it's downright impossible. Um, struggling. <laughs> um, so from what I can tell, some people move to doing online um, and some people now in some states clubs are open again. So some people are able to work again under different restrictions. Um, I think some people were able to just get unemployment and do that. Um, and then, yeah, that, that probably sums up what people are doing. I have also seen a lot of, um, mutual aid and, um, like fundraisers happen to try to give like kind of grants to sex workers, um, which I am very proud to see, but I'm also kind of expecting it because I feel like the way that the community rallied together during that time of the raids was pretty impressive. And so then to like, we did a lot of protests and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was great. And so in this time also to see sex workers taking care of each other is pretty good. Where do you stand on, on, the, on making it all legal, legitimate? In other words, I mean, obviously with clubs and cams and there, it's not an illegal activity, right? It's sort of in a gray area. So like, um, yeah, so the thing with clubs is, so it varies a lot by like city and state and things like that. But um, technically like being a stripper is legal, but lap dances are sort of in a gray legal area. Mm. Um, and like should, um, so like a thing in the raids was like lap dances are in a gray area. So, you know, technically you could get a citation for doing what your job is and what everyone knows your job to be. Um, but I support um, decriminalization of all sex work, which is different from legalization, which is more like the Nordic model. And I know a lot of people what don't understand. Nordic model? I know I'm aware so, of it, but for those who don't know. So the difference between decriminalization and legalization is under legalization, um, it's still very policed. So what legalization tries to do is try to get rid of the demand for sex workers. So they criminalize um like the customers and anyone helping sex workers but it's like you know if you think of being a hairdresser and it is illegal for people to get haircuts it doesn't help you in your <laughs> in if your i get job. arrested because i'm getting my haircut yes right and um it still uh involves a level of policing that we don't feel like is helpful or necessary um because when people are policed right now for doing sex work it usually ends up making people not safe and um, opens them up to a lot of abuses at the hands of police. And under decriminalization, they would just be treated as any other workers. So they would feel more comfortable coming forward if something happens to them. Um, And yeah, they would just be like any other workers. Um, Like people work in restaurants, people do this and right. So, um, and for, for street walking too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are they a particularly vulnerable group? 
Yes, I would say so. Um, so the so not everyone can like work in a club who wants to. Um, you know, some places have uh, licenses that you have to get to work in clubs, which you have to get at the police station, and so they can so they run background checks on you, and you know that isn't really an option for people who are more vulnerable because of like their documentation status or um, because they have a record and you know haven't been able to get other kinds of work whatever um so not everyone can work in a club for that and also trans people have a hard time working in clubs as well a lot of clubs don't i would say the majority of clubs do not hire trans women um so for those reasons people can have very like limited options um and then you know with street walking being illegal you open yourself up to harassment and violence from the police and the possibility of being arrested but then also um it puts you in a much more vulnerable situation with your clients because they know that you have nowhere to turn because if they assault you what are you going to do tell the police no because you were doing something illegal and then you're going to get arrested and then nothing will happen to that person they're not even going to investigate it um so yeah i do feel like they um women or people who work um, street-based are definitely the most vulnerable, I would say. Does Bear, uh, when you were an active member and participating, did that include the street walkers or no? Um, so at that time, it was formed mainly with people who worked in clubs that had been closed down. Um, so right now, I would say it is supportive of all sex workers and, you know, works with other sex organiza- sex work organizations that support all types of sex workers. But at the time, it was formed um, as a reaction to the rapes that happened on the clubs. Got it. Got it. So you have a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. What is it in? International studies. International studies. And yeah. um, and you said grad school didn't work out. What were you hoping to get a master's in? Um, I wanted to study, like, economics and development. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, things come in and out of our lives at different stages for reasons that we can't explain. So this isn't to say that, who knows, 10, 20 years from now, this is what you might decide you want to do. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like right now we can only afford to live in the present. You know? right. That's literally all we have some control over is today. Um, so you have written... Yay! This uh, this series. Mm-hmm. Now, is it just the pilot or this entire an entire series? Well, so I mean, we have the concept and pieces together of an entire series, but the um, digital table read that we released is just the pilot episode. And the show is called. So I'm going to let you talk about it. So I don't want to give misinformation. It is called Blacklight. Blacklight, and it's an animated series. So it is not animated. We just had an animated picture for it because we thought it was fun. Um, No, it would be live action. Um, We did cast it with some actors and comedians and actual sex workers who we would want involved in the show anyway, like if Mm -hmm. it was being made right at that time. Um, But the show is based around my own experiences being a sex worker and an activist in post-Katrina New Orleans, uh, which is where I grew up. And it follows a soft-spoken goth named Brianna. 
does not sound like you or even look like you, by the way. But um, uh, no. <laughs> and um, soft spoken yeah, and very bright. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so the show was well, so the pilot episode, of course. You see glimpses into Brianna and her family and friends' lives, and you also see her um, doing her activist thing, and then also. Uh, getting introduced into the world of sex work when she's in a financial emergency. Um, but the show overall is a story about um, a community trying to rec- uh, trying to recover post a disaster. Um, so sure, Katrina was 15 years ago, but the aftermath of it, you know, was so devastating. And, and it's, still, it's still happening, right? Yeah, there's still, you know, so much unresolved, unpacked trauma and uh, since then, there have been so many changes in the city. The city's revitalization policies have not necessarily taken into consideration the um, vulnerable populations from New Orleans. Um, the Black population has decreased a lot in the past 15 years. Um, it's decreased because of death or because most have moved out of the city? Well, well two things. One, um, it was harder for Black people to return after Katrina for a variety of reasons. And then also since then, gentrification has, you know, t- overtaken a lot of Black neighborhoods and it has forced people outside of the city. Um, and wages are very stagnant. There's not a lot of jobs. So it really, you know, it doesn't really make it survivable for a lot of people. So it is a Black New Orleans community recovering from that. Um, it is also about young people trying to find their purpose and validation in society. Um, it does center around Black alternative people like goths, punks, like that. Um, and then it is also about sex workers, um, my own experience with that, and about activism and the different dynamics that make up the activist space, um, how all of those different factions um, try to battle each other to lead us towards liberation. Mm, that's the ultimate goal. Now, is this all set in, uh, in a fictional world, or is this a, a sliver of, like, the underbelly of NOLA? I mean, I, you know, it's based around my real experiences. So, I mean, I do think there's truths in it. I, I wouldn't say that it's, like, a documentary, though. <laughs> it is, like, a, you know, a fictional series. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I'm ex- I think it's a terrific concept. Um, any progress with it so far in terms of getting um, it done, developments? We're speaking to some people, um, having some meetings, but nothing in stone yet. But we are trying to move forward with um, getting it made into a series. Yeah, yeah. No matter the platform. Because it feels like every platform is duking it out now. For, for well, it's a it's a strange time right now because you know production is pretty much halted because of COVID, and it's not really clear when that is going to return. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's a strange time for TV and film, I think. And it's your opportunity to just keep writing and developing, mm-hmm. so that when the door opens, you you can step in fully and say. Here are X amount of episodes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's wonderful. Um, I am at a space now where I feel like I've run out of, my curiosity has run out a little bit in terms of what else to ask you. Do you feel (laughs) that there's any stone I've left unturned? 
um, in terms of sex work or just overall sex work, what you're up to, what you're doing, just anything that would encompass uh, the goal of this particular episode? Well, I do have the event on Thursday. If this is going to be out, I can say that. Yeah, of course. So on this Thursday, you've got something awesome that you're doing that would be available for anyone to just hop on virtually, right? Yeah. So my co-creator and I, we have been producing this event um, for Thursday. We were supposed to have it um, on the 31st for the uh, 15th Katrina. anniversary of Katrina, but then uh, Hurricane Laura happened and we didn't want to advertise in the middle of that, people prepping for that. So um, we decided to move it till after. And then, you know, of course, Hurricane Laura has been so devastating for the state. And so now we are going to do, yes, the Katrina anniversary, but also make it a fundraiser for Hurricane Laura victims. Um, so we're going to be doing it on Twitch. And it's going to be the Twitch handle is my name, Ma Cello, and it's going to be at 4 p.m. Central Time. And we are going to have Black artists from New Orleans um, talk about how growing up in the city and also the storm has influenced their artistic work, but then um, also how they feel like art can preserve history and also uh, shape the future. And heal. And yeah, exactly. Very and easy. so the artists will be myself and then also um, Brandon B. Mike Odoms, who is the founder of Studio B, and Philip Humans, who um, was the director of Burning Kane. And also Don Richard, who is a singer. And then we're also going to have a musical performance by Makia Jovan, who's also a singer. And the, you, the, you are all like natives of NOLA, of New mm -hmm. Orleans, right? Yep. Okay. So that's, um, I'm, I'm, I will share the link in the show notes so people can just click over to the Twitch. Of course. The Twitch um, I can also leave a link up if people want to read more about what decriminalization is and how it differs from legalization. I mean, I don't have all the statistics in front of me right now and I don't want to misspeak on them, but there are very key differences. And I do think that they're important for people to be aware of as, you know, maybe public debate starts to include more sex workers and um, sex workers' rights. Right. Okay. Well, keep up the fantastic work. I wish you all the very best. I would ask you what your hopes and dreams for life is, um, but that would be almost saying that whatever you're doing right now is like just a stepping stone to something. Um, and I don't want to sound that way. So I, I'm not going to ask you what your hopes and dreams are, but whatever they are, I really, from the bottom of my heart, want to see them come through, true for you. Thank you. Yeah, right down to that TV show because I'd watch it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, Maha. All right. Okay. Do you have a special way that you say goodbye to your customers? Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because at the end of every episode, my guests say goodbye to my listeners the way they say goodbye to a child, a mom, a whomever. Um, well, sometimes cutesy. when customers are being weird and annoying and I don't want to deal with them anymore, um, usually, and I think a lot of dancers do this, usually the way I say goodbye to them is, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so very much. Uh, and uh, I guess all we have to say is bye. You can say goodbye to them.
Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Why don't you hop on over to our Instagram page right now, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, and follow and see what our guests look like and all the fuckeries we get into over on Insta. Also, we now have a Facebook page, and everything is What the Fockery. So What the Fockery Twitter, What the Fockery Instagram, What the Fockery Facebook. You can't go wrong. You can even whatthefockery at gmail.com. Okay, now, officially, bye!